Welcome to a special presentation of Nebraska Farmcast, a podcast with essential information for essential decisions from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. The Nebraska Extension Farm and Ranch Management Team in the Department of Agricultural Economics is dedicated to providing timely news, analysis, decision tools, and publications for Nebraska agricultural decision makers. Each week, our team brings you essential information for your essential decisions in live webinars covering a diverse array of farm and ranch management topics presented by experts from the university, from across the state, and from around the country. This series of podcasts offers audio from these webinars so you can learn on the go. To find a complete archive of all webinars, register for upcoming sessions, and discover more resources, visit the Farm and Ranch Management website at farm.unl.edu. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Jessica Grosskopf. I'm an extension educator and the Panhandle Regional Economist for the Department of Agricultural Economics at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Thank you for joining us today. When those who are closest to us are our business partners, things can get complicated, but planning and decision-making can go more smoothly with improved communications. Successful farm and ranch transitions depend on a meaningful family discussion and even negotiations. Today, to tell us about the skills and ideas that will help with communication regarding successions plans, I'm pleased to have us joined by Alan Vanalek, an extension agent, an extension educator for farm and ranch succession and transition. Welcome, Alan. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me. Thing and thanks for the great introduction, uh, Jessica. I appreciate it very much. So, uh, thanks for having having me on. And I want to talk about succession, uh, specifically about communication and negotiation, because I have not talked about that uh, at least on this series yet uh, with with any great depth. And I want to go into a little bit more depth today, because when it comes right down to it. Uh, as I observe uh, the families that I've worked with, especially over the last three years since being in this position, but over the last 10 years working with, with uh, doing more presentations on succession, farm succession, farm ranch succession and transition, I can tell you that when we have problems, it's usually, it's a vast majority of them, I don't know exactly what the percentage is, but I'm talking about like 80 or 90% of the time, the problems with the transition or problem with the succession has to do with bad communications or no communications. Uh, and then, and then uh, I'll get to the negotiation part when I get to negotiations, but uh, there's my contact information and there's, there's the website that I have a bunch of stuff at, including, this is going to be a few minutes out of uh, a two and a half hour presentation I did last November, and at the website uh, slash succession, agecon.unl.edu slash succession, I've got all those things. Ryan did a great job of cutting all those things down into about 12 or 13 different segments of eight to 12 minutes each, so you can look at my whole talk. Um, okay, onward. Today's topics, gotta get to where my mouse is, here we go. Uh, retiring, why we don't, why don't we plan to retire? When are we gonna retire? What do I wanna be when I grow up? Some things on vision and goals, a little bit on communications and then negotiation and how to think about how we create more value, how we make that negotiation go easier because we're doing the right thing. Uh, congratulations for attending. I should say it changed out the word uh, coming. This is part of my regular in-person slide set, so I apologize. but. Uh, this is not a, a substitute for actual estate planning. You still go to see a lawyer, but you know I hope that what I do today makes you use your professional's time better. And if I could save you a few minutes as a lawyer, I've saved you a, a nice chunk of change. So hopefully, give you some thought to save some time to lawyer, and I think that'll work out very nicely for you. Um, 
So farmers don't, most studies indicate farmers don't retire, plan to retire. I mean, if you look at a, a recent uh, a study in the state of Iowa, 78% of the farmers had said they don't plan to fully ever retire from farming. They, they maybe would size, downsize and, and, and quit farming quite so much, slow down a bit, but they were never going to completely get out. Uh, control is a huge reason. Uh, they, farmers have always had to control and always plan for the next crop, always think about the future. Uh, modern equipment, and you know, that helps because some of the GPS-enabled equipment uh, better helps. Equipment is easier to, to work with. Uh, better help contributes because uh, we're living longer, feeling better longer, and, and uh, you know, that makes uh, people want to go longer. And uh, another thing we're finding is that there's no success or other retirement or I know other retirement plans support or also support continuing. So the point is, uh, without a successor, um, you want to keep going because it just it just seems like the right thing to do. And um, so farmers don't plan to retire. I'm not here to suggest that anybody has to retire, but I would say this. At some point in time, uh, well, uh, let me say it this way. We've not been able to avoid the pine box. Everybody's going to have their demise. So what happens to your stuff when you're gone? That's why you should not, I'm not asking you to retire, but I'm asking you to think about what happens to your stuff. That's the reason we should have succession planning. Because more often than not, that planning tends to be deferred until some critical life event occurs, which forces the family to address the matter, according to a study done in, um, I think, in New Zealand, if I'm not mistaken. Australia, actually in Australia. But, but the point is, it's the same in the United States. Uh, we tend to wait until we have some catastrophic event which forces the family to address the matter. And if you have that happen, like a heart attack or a stroke or a farm accident or COVID-19, if, if you want to go there, is it, it's, just, it's just what that does is it, it just creates a lot of stress. Those catastrophic events just kind of mess us, mess us up. And I would submit that we don't make great family decisions when we're under that much stress. So if we could make family decisions before we have that catastrophic event or that critical life event, I think we make better decisions. That's, that's my point on that. That's an important thing to consider. We don't like to plan because we think it's, we assume it's complicated. It's mental work. For sure, when you go see a lawyer, they use a whole different set of language. They use a whole different set of um, English than what most normal people use. And you have to really work hard mentally to keep up with what they're saying. And, and sometimes you just can't keep up. And so uh, you tend to not want to finish up what they tell you to do because it's just so hard to think about. We face our own mentality. We, we don't want mortality. We don't want to think about death. But more, and what I'm finding out more recently is that we're afraid that if we do something, it will be wrong. And for sure, if you make a decision today about your estate plan, so at some point in time in the future, it will probably be wrong Something because something will change. People in your family will die out of order. Uh, uh, somebody has a divorce. Uh, somebody gets sick and, and passes away from cancer or something like that. Uh, so what I would submit, however, is that doesn't mean we never get a plan done. You go ahead and do a plan. Get it done. Have it in place in case you have that catastrophic, that critical life event. But also just understand that you could change it at any point in the future uh, when things change. When some changes in your family, change the plan. Then, then that makes sense, and, that, and I, that's what I would suggest. And changing the plan is less expensive than not having a plan and having things messed up. Near the end of any career, there's three types of planning that has to take place. There's end-of-life plans and documents. Just, I think, last week, David Aiken was on, and I hosted him, and we talked about uh, the um, 
the uh, life estate, uh, excuse me, the power of attorneys, POAs, that's what I'm trying to say. All the power of attorneys, end of life stuff, the healthcare directives, those kind of things. Then there's the estate plan, which is the will, trust, LLC, limited, limited partnerships, all those other structures you can use to put an estate plan together. And then the third part is business succession planning. If you're so lucky to have somebody coming into your business and back to your operation, then you have to have that succession planning in place for them to, to be able to take over and not put them in a, such a position that they can't take over. You have to, to make sure that it's designed in a way that they can take over. And what I'm finding is that we don't do a good job of communicating with any of these things. And so we have to make, we make sure we have good family communication for all three of these things to happen properly, but they all need to happen. That would be my point. First conversation we have to have with any family is uh, regarding a succession plan or a state plan is that when you're done with this planning, are you still going to have a family? Don't make that assumption, get that commitment. I just met with a family recently that had had a uh, major um, critical life event occur where they were kind of mad at each other. They weren't talking to each other very much. They, they had kind of split, if you will. And I didn't know that before the meeting, but they split. And it was, and so I'm not sure they were committed to that, having to still have a family when we got done. But I think before the conversation was done that day, when we were talking to that family, they did kind of come around and understand, yeah, probably we want to keep our family together. Our family is important to us. And so make sure you have that commitment, especially if there's been some disagreement in the past. And then secondly, grandpa and grandma, our mom, dad, whoever that matriarch, patriarch, are they on the same page? We have to make sure that work gets worked out first, because if we don't have them on the same page. They start talking to their kids about, hey, grandpa wants to do this, or grandma wants to do that, and they go talk to a different child. Then all of a sudden, you're pitting, ch pitting children against each other, and that's something you have to make for sure you um, avoid and make sure that grandpa and grandma or whoever those matriarch and patriarch are, are, are set so we don't screw that up uh, before it even starts. That, those are two critical pieces that have to go into this before we have any talk about succession or um, even estate planning. So uh, for all the farmers out there that are watching today, make sure you, and really for anyone for that matter, what do your asset looks, assets look like in retirement? Beginning to end in mind. I, I said it this way, I'm retired. When I first wrote this slide, I, I thought the farmers retired. Now I figured out that they don't. But let's say on the last day that you're farming, what does that operation look like? How big did it get? How many acres? How many cattle? Uh, how big are tractors? How many grain bins? Do you have trucks? How many, how, how many trucks? Uh, what, is that, what is that vision? What, is that, what does that utopia look like? What does that perfect world look like at the end? And then what are you doing with those keys? You have to walk into the house on retirement day, get done with your last set of chores, you get done working in the last field. You have to take the keys to the operation and hand them to somebody. What does that look like? Are you going to the next generation? Are you having an auction the next day? Is it going on to a, a neighborhood, neighborhood renter, a tenant? Uh, establish that vision first, kind of know where you're headed, because that helps you make decisions along the way. That's my next slide, because we have to establish goals based on what you have for your end of, end of farming um, decision. In other words, whatever that vision is for the end of farming, you can now take your farming career, if you've got five years left, 20 years left, 15 years left, and you can think about, this is what I want to have happen in five, 10, 15, 20-year segments to get me to that end, and that's what I want to look at, like at the end. And you have to plan that out a little bit because it'll help you get to where you want to be at retirement, and it'll also help you make better decisions along the way. I mean, I talked to one older farmer that was, was offered a piece of ground to buy, buy from his neighbor, 
And this older farmer said, I love that piece of ground. It'd be a fun piece of ground to have, but I'm not going to buy it at, at 55 or 60 years old because I don't have a son or daughter coming back into the opera. I have no one coming back to the operation. If I had someone come back to the operation, I'd probably be buying that piece of ground, but I don't. So why would I buy it? Because he had his goal of he's going to have to sell the operation or the operation is going to end because he had no one coming back. So you have to use those kind of things. To, that's what I'm talking about to make better decisions along the way based on what's going to be your end, what happens at the end of mine. And um, also think about what does that future look for you? There's some, some redundancy here, but what I'm trying to say is, are we ending the business? Are we passing the business on? Are we selling the business to? If you don't know, okay, that's, we just got done talking about those things. But if you don't know, you start by visiting with your family. I guess that's where I'm trying to go with the slide. Where we, where you have to start and make a first conversation. Are we going to visit, is anybody in the family interested? I talked to one young producer about a uh, young man about three months ago, four months ago. It was during COVID. He calls me up and he says, you know, um, I think my wife and I want to move from our bigger town in Nebraska out to the farm and I want to take over for farming. Uh, it's close enough to where we live currently that my wife can continue her job in the town that we live. And I can go out and work with dad on the farm. I'll give up my uh, in-town job and go work with dad on the farm because dad's getting older. And, and, and essentially, um, dad didn't know it. He had not, never told dad that that was his intention. And so he's going to spring this on dad at whatever age he was, started in the high late 20s, early 30s. And I was kind of going, wow, it's too bad that they didn't have that conversation kind of all along, that, that, that we're going to get ourselves established in town with careers, that sort of thing, get some get some assets put together, some cash put together, and then I'm gonna come work with you on the farm. It's too bad dad didn't know that because I think he could have set up some things uh, differently. And, 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 and another, a couple came to my office here in Lincoln about a year now, not quite a year ago, about 11 months ago. And they go, uh, yeah, so uh, we're old enough that we sold our, we sold our equipment and uh, we, we, we retired, we moved. And uh, now we find out that we have a son that wants to move out of a bigger city in Nebraska out to our place. It happened to be out in the panhandle somewhere. And uh, he wants to start farming. And uh, I said, you sold your equipment and you didn't know your son was going to come back to farm? And he said, yeah, that's right. It's a little sad, isn't it? And I said, yeah, it's a lot sad. You should, you should have, you know, it's too bad you didn't hang on to that. And they go, yeah, well, it's too bad we didn't know our son was going to farm. So there's just a couple of examples where families didn't talk. And it ends up to be a, you know, you're, you're putting people in, a, in a, an unenviable situation. So please have that conversation and start communicating better. Here's a Purdue study that was just released last summer. And it said, in order to resolve issues, how often do you spend time thinking, meeting, and discussing with family members? And here's the sad thing. 30% never read. Hardly ever blue, 30%. Only some of the time, 30%, and most of the time, only 10%. Are you kidding me? 60% hardly ever or never, and only some of the time 30%, and most of the time 10%. Now those, those numbers are way off. We should be most of the time 60 or 70%, and some of the time there's other 30%. We shouldn't be having never or hardly ever. We should always involve family members' communications. This is just, you know, that's just too bad. And essentially what happens, in my view, is that we have a lot of farmers in Nebraska, Indiana, Iowa, all these Midwestern states that came from European countries. And one of the values of the Europeans coming in was that, you know, our business is our business, so we don't share it with anyone. And I think that that, that sometimes that, that uh, 
that attitude or that that value, that family value, I'm not criticizing you, I'm just saying that it happens, it's true, uh, gets in the way of uh, being able to move forward because we have to share share our, share what's happening, share what we're thinking about, and we, that's not our uh, MO, that's not our background. We're not used to thinking that. And so what I suggest to people is, listen, I know you don't want to share. I know you don't think that's that's what you do, but you need to share. You need to share with family. But I understand that you don't want your business known by everyone. So you you, you give the family a, a kind of a gag order. It says, hey, we're going to share stuff with you, and we expect you to keep it within the family. You don't share that outside the family. <clears throat> that's for you to have and you to have only. No one else. So communication is huge. we got to get this going. And... Um, like I said earlier, when we have problems with families getting along or getting that succession plan in place, it's most of the time from a lack of appropriate communication. One way to start is to start your children to your parents and you should consider a family meeting. Now, depending on who, you're, who you are, you think this is a good idea or you don't think this is a good idea. I've talked to lawyers that they hate the idea of a family meeting. They would just soon talk to grandpa and grandma, get the estate plan put together and do it, succession plan put together and do it. They don't want to have other people involved because that just messes it up for them. But for sure, if you're going to have a family meeting, you have to plan it carefully or you're going to have a disaster on your hands. Don't do a family meeting with the idea that you're going to make uh, decisions based on what happens at the family meeting at the family meeting. No, no, no. In fact, if you're going to get your family together to talk about what happens to the farm or what happens to grandma's yellow pipe later, what happens to the antique tractor that's been restored, uh, I think you're going to have the first meeting just to get input for all and get everyone ha- get, get everyone to get tell, tell the mom and dad, the matriarch and patriarch, what they'd like to have happen. So people that should be there should be mom and dad and their, their sons and daughters. And some lawyers say that's it. They don't want spouses there too. But I think spouses should be there. And I also think that grandchildren should be there that are adult age or adults. I'm not going to say what age that is because I've seen 14-year-old grandchildren that would be fine at a family meeting like this, and I've seen 24-year-old grandchildren that should not be at family meetings like this. So you have to pick uh, who you want there, who's, who's the interested parties, and get those people there. They, they should be there. And I'm, I'm particularly uh, on board with the idea that all the spouses are there. I really think that's important. Even though uh, lawyers, some, some lawyers have said no. I don't want spouses there. They tend to mess things up. I, uh, from my dealings with families, I find out that sometimes the spouses ask some of the best questions. So they should be there. But more importantly, even if they don't ask questions, or even if they don't have something to say, they should at least hear the dialogue and get, get a tenor of what's going on there. But I think in order to do this properly, you're not going to get have a family meeting to make decisions. You're going to have a family meeting to make input. Because at the end of the day, how do you feel like you're a family? You feel like a family because you belong. And if you, how do you feel like you belong? We're not allowed to make input. So it's a really important part of, of the, the, I think it's an important part of the process to have them involved in some, in, in some way, in some capacity, at least at the beginning of the discussion. So to make that work, you should set some clear ground rules. The one I think should be absolutely said is no criticizing of ideas. If someone says, oh, I think we should do this, then you go, no, I don't want to do that. And that's criticism. No, don't do that. Let them say what they're going to say, and then you have to communicate properly back and forth about what your views are, if your views differ from what the idea that was brought forward is. And then also, um, in any family, almost any family, you're going to have somebody that talks all, wants to talk all the time. They never quit talking. They just they want to jump in on everything that's said. They want to have another thing to say. 
And so you might have to institute a gag rule for that person who wants to talk all the time. You know, you, just, you simply say, uh, listen, when we're talking about item A, everyone's allowed to talk once. And no one can talk a second time until everyone's talked about item A. Everybody in the room's got a chance to talk. Then we go on to item B, and then everyone can talk again once. And so you have to gag them down to make sure that they, they do that properly and do what they need to do and all those kind of things. So um, you have to, no criticizing ideas, let everyone talk, have a gag rule if needed, and just first meeting is only to gather input, no decisions are made. Then when you have decision-making meeting, uh, then you use the, after the one meeting to get input, then you use the golden rule. And the golden rule in this case is, you who has the gold sets the rule. So if that's grandpa and grandma, great. If it's grandpa and grandma and your children, that's great. Usually it doesn't include spouses, usually would not, absolutely would not include grandchildren because they don't have the decision-making power, that sort of thing. I think non-local families should be involved somehow. I've sat in with a meeting uh, with a uh, farm family last year, and uh, we had a son from a different city near about 300 miles away they didn't want to drive in. And I said, absolutely don't drive in. Don't take time to do that. But we took him and we got that. We got a phone out and we put him on speakerphone so he could listen into the whole meeting. And he made several excellent comments and he didn't say a lot, but he got to hear it all. And that's important just to make sure they're, they're involved somehow. And then we get to the sweetheart deals and we have to make sure we don't have those surprises in place. I, I think my favorite sweetheart deal was um, the story out of, one of the counties I've worked in my career and, and the county uh, and the story goes that there are four children that were sitting down to talk after mom and dad had passed away. Dad was gone, but now mom passed away and the four children were going to sit down and talk. One of the boys was the farmer and the other three were going to sit down and talk with their brother and say, you know, we want you to continue farming. You're going to, you know, and we're, we're not necessarily going to change anything, but we just need to know, we need to have a family meeting to figure out where we're at. So they asked the boy that was the farmer, what are you paying mom and dad for rent? And to be true, at this time of the world, this time of the day, rent should have been something like $250 to $350 per acre, depending on exactly where you're at. I'm going to divulge that, but it should have been some number around $300 an acre. And the, the farmer said, well, I'm paying mom and dad $65 an acre. And so th that's the sweetheart deal you have to be careful of, and you have to think about that, because... Maybe $65 an acre wasn't very much. And I think that uh, most normal emotional reactions would say that it was terrible. That was a terrible deal. This guy was screwing mom and dad. He was really being unfair. But I'm saying be careful about the sweetheart deals and be careful about situations like that because I'm betting that $65 an acre, grandpa and grandma couldn't even pay the property tax. So who was probably paying his property tax? Well, that son was. Who took care of uh, maintaining all the irrigation equipment or even installing the irrigation? The son did. Grandpa and grandma didn't install your irrigation equipment for $65 an acre. And who, who took care of, uh, uh, if you had to remove a fence to get the pivot to go all the way around, who put the bulldozer in there to remove the fence and do all that work to prep that ground to have the pivot going? Well, I bet the son did. If there's a farmstead on the place, who took care of uh, painting the, the painting and, and replacing windows and, and changing the roof and and doing the siding and all those things to that farmhouse. Well, at $65 an acre, I bet the son did. And then the son took care of taxes. And, it's, and by the way, the son and his wife, his spouse, probably took care of grandpa and grandma as they transitioned from the farmhouse to uh, assisted living, to a nursing facility, to hospice, to the end of life. 
and then the, the non-farm kids probably weren't involved because they may, in many cases, they're not even around. So at the end of the day, was $65 too much? Maybe not. Now with son who's doing all those things for his uh, parents. So if you hear about a sweetheart deal, it could be a sweetheart deal, I don't know. But also make sure you ask these clarifying questions to make sure that you consider that maybe it isn't that big of a sweetheart deal. I'm not sure. And to be sure, uh, communications, the younger generation require better communications that we receive as uh, boomers or as the older generation, our parents' generation. Um, they just didn't receive much. And I, I talked about that. That's the, that's the I, my business, my business. I don't share that. So for, for communication, listening is the key. Practice and make sure you, 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 you said what you heard, you thought you heard them said, and uh, make sure you understand the other person's point of view. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. Okay, so I didn't tell you this, Jessica, but would you get back on at least audio for me? Are you there? Can you, can you get back on audio? Is that gonna be okay? Sure, I'm here. Okay, great. Let's have a quick dialogue. I'm sorry I didn't prep you on this. It's not hard. This is not hard. Okay, so um, let, me, let, me, let me first demonstrate how we're not gonna uh, communicate, okay? How, what, inappropriate communication, okay? So here's my question to you. What are your plans for this weekend? It's Thursday, you should have some plans for the weekend. What, anything at all you got planned at all for the weekend? Sure, so uh, we're gonna irrigate this weekend because we still have water running and hopefully my folks are gonna come up from Colorado and we're gonna go to a couple of big auctions. Well, that's interesting, but you know, I, I, what I look forward to this weekend is being able to go see my grandson, Harry, in Omaha. I mean, he's, he's, he's only around once in a while because he's, he's anyway, it's a split marriage deal. And, and so, but Harry's going to be around this weekend, and we're going to go up there and see him, and we're going to play a little ball in the yard, and it should be cooler on Saturday, and we're really looking forward to that. And we might even go to Claire's, uh, my daughter, granddaughter's uh, soccer game. And so just going to spend time, a little fine with time with that family is going to be awesome, and I really look forward to that. Okay, so... Here's my point of that conversation. Did I listen to anything Jessica said? Not really. I asked her the question so I could say what I was doing on the weekend. I wanted to brag to her about my weekend. I don't care what happened about her weekend. So here's the more appropriate way to do it in my view. And Jessica, you can even change your answers. I don't care. Um, but but here's, here's how I think it probably should go, or at least it would be better to go this way. So, hey, Jessica, so what are you, what's your plans for the weekend? Yeah, so we're still running water, so we'll be out in the field a lot, but then we're going to go to some auctions this weekend as well. So who's, who's uh, what, what are you, what are you watering? Are you still watering uh, the, the uh, uh, what, the dry edibles, dry edible beans? Yeah, so we have water for both corn and dry edibles still. All the surface water is still coming down. And so your corn, is, does your store corn still going to need water? It's not mature enough to be done yet. No, so we're about two weeks behind you guys, so we're not quite filled out yet. Okay, and so what, what kind of auctions are you interested in going to? What does that look like? Uh, so uh, the family that used to own our implement dealership is having an estate auction. So lots of antiques and uh, uh, equipment type stuff for my farm-loving okay. husband. So this is more for your husband than for you than I take it? I don't know. They have some pretty good uh, uh, ceramics and stuff on there. So we both might <laughs> Very good. All right, so what did I say? What did I, in that car, thank you very much, Jessica. I apologize, but thank you. So what, what, in that conversation, what did, I, what did I say about what I was doing this weekend? Nothing, okay? And so to do this properly, we have to avoid the yes or no questions, like just say, do you have plans? And all she'd have to say is yes or no. 
uh, you'd have to say, you know, what are your plans? And then they can answer. So it's like, get to open those and those open-ended questions, who, what, why, and start to start to set, set uh, plus others to start that question sequence. Uh, to, to, so you get to the full answers rather than just a yes or no answer. And you have to kind of practice that. I'm, I'm still not all that good at it, but you have to make sure you repeat what you heard, thought you heard them say, and then ask them clarifying questions so they add on to it so you really fully understand. And I understand this is about what's happening on a weekend, so that's no big deal. But when you get to those hard topics, that's where you really have to delve in and get to more clarification and more, more detail about what's going to go on. So the other thing I think has got to happen is we've got to show empathy, show concern, and focus on the intent. In other words, if somebody's kind of frustrated about something, go, so I sense that you're frustrated that, and, and then, you, then you ask them the question, and so they can expound on why they're frustration. And you have to even stop and listen more. You have to slow yourself down and stop and listen even more. When emotion is high, you need to get to the heart of the issue when you don't feel like you are being understood when you try and talk to them or when, the other, when you can tell that the other person doesn't feel understood. The key here is to look for some of the non-verbal, excuse me, the, some of the physical clues, some of the, the body language clues about what's going on so you can get to the heart of an issue. So if you really want to communicate properly, you have to spend time studying the other person and thinking, and you have to listen to what they're saying and ask them questions about their, what they're saying so that you're not, the, the bottom line is don't listen with the intent to reply, listen to with the intent to understand. That's the, that's the, that's, that's the number one mistake. We have the intent to, to reply instead of the intent to understand. And so um, here's a video that, that kind of summarizes what I'm trying to say with communications and and this is the mistake that the, in this video, there's the mistake that I make all the time. Somebody describes a problem to me and I want to fix it. And that's not what needs to happen. So let's try and watch it. It's only about a minute and a half long. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless. and. I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there. Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing. You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, out. See, you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just, sometimes it's like, there's this achy, I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. That sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on. Ow. If you would just don't try to see things my way. Okay. So, um, just really quick, just know that, just know that uh, um, that was a classic. Not, not going for the emotion, not listening for the empathy, not listening to the frustration, 
you have to allow, even though you can see what the problem is, you have to allow them to say it in their own words. Otherwise, they don't feel like they're being listened to. So, you know, it's, when, you, when you get yourself into a jam with someone, think about it's not about the nail. Wait a minute. Did I hear what they said? Do I fully understand? Do I fully appreciate that? And you can, you can go on. You can get stuff done quicker. The other, the other part of my time, if you've got any questions, please put them in the chat or the Q&A. We'll find them. The other part I want to talk about is a little bit about negotiation. We negotiate all the time. We get used, used vehicles. Uh, the, the kids or the grandkids, in my case, or the, the grocery store, we get to the candy aisle and they go, I want a candy bar, I want a candy bar. Anyway, and then, and, and, and of course, the family thing. We negotiate in a lot of part of our lives. For farming, it's uh, things like leasing and purchasing and rental rates and custom work. We do, it's a part of our everyday business, negotiation is. It's a back and forth process designed to reach an agreement when you and the other party have both shared and opposed issues. We all know what negotiation is. However, what I submit for our discussion today is that we're all taught that we have to win. So in about 1969, I'd have been about 14 years old. I remember going with my dad to um, the implement dealer in downtown Crete, Nebraska. And uh, we went in there and dad haggled with that salesman over the last hundred bucks on that tractor purchase. It was a used tractor purchase. He haggled with that salesman over that last hundred dollars for two hours, two hours. We got done. And then let me explain something about 1969. In 1969, I was 14. I was old enough to start hauling bales, and it was square bales, 60 to 80 pounds, square rectangular bales, alfalfa bales. And what would I get paid? 75 cents to a buck and a quarter an hour. Okay. And by the time I graduated from high school in 73, it was a buck and a half to buck 75 an hour, and one guy paid me $2 an hour, and now I thought I was in hog heaven. But the bottom line is, I think that's what we're looking at in 1969 for farm wages. We get down with the end of the two-hour negotiation now, and Dad and him, the dad and the salesman, the salesman finally just said, all right, I split the difference with you, 50 bucks. You come up 50 bucks, I'll go down 50 bucks, and they made the deal, and we were out of there. Got back to the pickup, started heading home, and, and I go, Dad, I said, we, just, we just took two hours haggling over basically 50 bucks. What are you, what are you doing? He, said, he looked at me, he goes, son, or he said, Alan, he goes, where else are we going to make $25 an hour this afternoon? And I go, okay, touche, I get it. But that's how we're taught to negotiate. We're taught that we have to win. We're taught that we have to beat up the other person and, 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 and get our split and come somewhere in the middle. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that when you're talking about family and you're talking about estate, estate planning and how the stuff is going to get split, how does your family members feel if you're trying to beat them over the head for that last 50 bucks? I'm not sure that's the way we should be treating family. That's all I'm submitting. Think about that as you think about negotiation, especially as negotiation with the family, because I'm not sure winning is the right way. When we have to do negotiation, we have to remember that it should not be about winning. And then, by the way, we can usually create more than value than 100%. We can create more value than 100%. How can we create value to get that spot? So when I try to trade pickups, I don't necessarily try to trade to get a better price, I try to trade with the idea that, okay, so this is your price. Okay, that's what you want. Okay, good. But does that include mud flaps? Does that include running boards? Does that include the tonneau cover? 
Does that include the, the bug shield up front, the, you know, the deflector shield? So those are the kind of things that I try and do to create more value and, and, and we can make a deal on that. So we have to give that some thought. And there's other ways to think about creating more value. Um, that's just one example, one brief, simple example. When we, have, when we have family things going on with negotiation, however, we have, emotion, we have emotional situations. Somebody's probably passed away or somebody, you know, you're, you're planning for somebody's demise. And so emotions tend to entangle negotiations. And we, I went to a workshop at Harvard here a couple of three years ago now, and we, we learned, it's been a whole day talking about these five roadblocks, uh, emotions that, that screw up negotiations, basically. And um, so here I'll go through them real quick. It's just like appreciation. In other words, are we appreciating the people that we're talking to and negotiating with? Are they being listened to? Have we done a good job with communication? If we have not, that they're going to throw up a roadblock against your negotiation. So you have to really stop and connect with them and find out what their issues are, find out what their emotional, how they're emotionally attached to things, that sort of thing. You really have to get through them to them a little bit. If we, if we have other people that we're talking to, especially family members, are we going to have a proper affiliation with those family members? In other words, are we treating those parties as adversaries or as colleagues or as family? I guess that's kind of what I let off with, because when we negotiate, maybe we shouldn't treat families the same way as we negotiate with other people. So check your affiliation in at the door. Make sure that you're treating, especially family members, as family members, not as an adversary if you have to negotiate. The third one is autonomy. Uh, so are we, we give somebody the, the decision-making power for a decision and then they don't use it or, or excuse me if we countermand that or, or don't let them make that decision won't they feel like they're being blocked and so make sure you give if you give somebody autonomy that they can keep it that they don't get it taken away from them. and when I talk about that I, when I talk about that when I do my full-blown workshop I always talk about don't as a, uh, a farmer if you have a, a one of your sons coming back to farm with you don't give him complete troll control the farm immediately. Don't do that because within six months, you both be mad at each other. He'll be mad at you because you questioned one of his decisions and you'll be mad at him because he didn't do it the same way you would have done it. So that's what I'm talking about. If you're going to give autonomy, then you can't question a decision. So I wouldn't probably give, and yet, and yet, if you stick the kid at the business end of a pitchfork and never let him make any decisions, he's probably not going to stick around long either. So you have to play that carefully and do that appropriately. Uh, when it comes to family, family and status, um, are you treating all family members as full, with full recognition or are you treating some of them inferiorly? And when it comes to old men like I am, I can poke fun at myself for a couple things here uh, on status specifically because the older guys especially tend to want to treat women different than another man and they want to tend to treat all young different than their age group. So if you, you have to check in your status at the door, if you have the grandkids there, if you have younger family members there, that sort of thing, make sure that you're giving them proper status. If they're part of the family, they're part of the family. Doesn't mean they're a woman, doesn't mean that they're young, they're a family member. So you have to treat them the same. And so I, I joke in my workshops that the young women have two strikes against them, but that's where we have to check everything at the door and say, okay, uh, if I got family here, am I treating them all the same? Or by recognizing your status? Am I giving them proper autonomy? And then 
we also have to check the role because if we give someone a, a role that they are they fulfilled with the role that they have and if we take a young person and don't give them much of a role like you're going to scoop the grain bin out and load the truck and that's all we kind of let them do we don't give them any meaningful decision making jobs and how are they going to learn number one and number two how are they going to feel about that so we have to make sure that people are fulfilled with the role they have I met with a family recently where the grandparents uh, basically were in their 70s, but they were still wanting to be active with the farm. They still wanted to help out. The grandpa wanted to go drive trucks or whatever was needed, move people around, go get parts. And the the boys in their late 40s, early 50s didn't want to let grandpa do anything anymore because they determined him to be too old. And I don't know what the truth was there, but I would suspect it was somewhere in the middle. And so you could find things for him to do so he felt like he – and so the grandparents, the grandparents in this case, were felt, felt like they were left out. They didn't have appropriate role with that operation. They felt like they still wanted to contribute and go on. So I'm asking families to think about that carefully and think about where they could have people uh, with the appropriate role and, and how they would get along and, and what would be the right thing for them to do. I mean, do we stick a, do we stick a, 70, a late 70-year-old uh, grandfather into a tractor and uh, let him plant or, or stick him in a combine and let him harvest? Uh, if you have GPS and all that stuff, maybe you can, but maybe you can't. I don't know. It depends on his his physical condition, what his cognitive condition is. Uh, it, it depends. It just depends. But but I'm not saying that you have to completely rule that out either. Uh, that's kind of the end of my talk. Those are the things I kind of wanted to uh, get across and think about, have us think about, the communications part and the negotiation part. Here's some websites. The top one is my web, the website that, that Brian's helping me with. I did some of these other, Joe Hawbaker is an attorney out of Omaha, there's a terrific set of articles. They're very detailed, very, very technical. They're good articles on how to do, do some of the succession stuff. Uh, Dave Baker's Beginning Farmer Center at Iowa State University has some good information. Agri-Legacy Legacy out of Kansas City has good information and Purdue has some good information. So, and there's other places too. I'm not saying these are the end-alls. I mean, just some place to think about. Also, I wanna make quick mention of the Rural Response Hotline. Uh, if you need a free hour with uh, an attorney or a financial planner or somebody like that, don't be afraid to try and call them. Uh, or if you need help with the negotiation or you need help with mediation, don't be afraid to call them. You can call me too, but I may still refer you to the Rural Response Hotline. You get an appointment, they go do clinics across the state. Right now they're doing clinics virtually, but you can still get in their schedule. And that number is 800-464-0258. Also, there's a next-gen program if you're bringing someone new back to the farm. It's beginning farmer information from the Nebraska Department of Ag, and there's that phone number right there. Ask for Carla Baum, B-A-U-M, Carla, and uh, you get information about the next-gen program. Very important programs, very, very cool to have, something to think about. And so those are things I want to mention today, Jessica, and I don't know if we have any questions or not, but we'll, if you have them, please type them in the chat. I'll try and try my best. So our first question is, what is the biggest obstacle to an efficient transition? Well, the biggest obstacle is the lack of communication for the fam. I mean, the, the, typically somebody leaves something out. They don't, they, don't, they don't talk. They don't listen to each other. They don't talk. Um, you know, uh, I met with the farm family, and, and uh, the, the younger couple – uh, wanted to ask the older couple if they could have an acre at the, at the farm site, at the, at the building site, to build their own house. And when we, when we met, and they told mom and dad that they wanted to have an acre, mom and dad well, said, well, sure, but why would you build a house? We plan to move to town. We'll buy a house in town. You can stay at our house. 
And that, interestingly enough, created an uncomfortable silence because at the end of the day, before the, when it got all broken down and then they, they, everybody told what they showed where their cards were, that the, uh, the, the daughter-in-law didn't really want to be in mom and dad's, you know, mom and dad's house because it wasn't good enough for her. She wanted to have her own brand new house. So, and, that, and, and, and there's some, <laughs> the, the, and so I'm kind of joking when I say it, but there's some truth to things like that. And, and, and in this case, it was an old two-story frame house, a typical farmstead house that didn't have any vents going to the upper, upper floors where their daughters would have to sleep. And so that was, that was going to be a problem for air conditioning and or heat. So I understood the concerns. And so, uh, but it's communication. They didn't communicate each other what they wanted to do with about housing when the next generation was coming back. And so to me, that things like that just shouldn't get left out and they should be critical to it and they should be always included. That's, that's the point of telling that story. So Alan, you gave some good examples with buying a pickup, how you can add value in the negotiation. What are some good examples, maybe from a farm perspective, of how we can add value when we're talking about estate planning? So that's that's uh, that's interesting because uh, you know essentially you have to consider every, for every farm that's going to be different, but you have to consider what skills and what attributes you have to bring to the table. I mean, if that younger person's been trained um, and, and and has some financial background, you know, good accounting classes, good uh, financial plan, they could say, I'm, I'm I my my skill here could be to to do the books, and we don't have to have the CPA do quite so much. We could have this tone down our CPA bill, I could take some of that on, and we just go to CPA to finish up on the taxes instead of having to do all the data entry and some of that sort of thing. I mean, that's an example of one thing a younger person could provide because they have the computer skills. They all, they're all trained very well with computers, better than I ever will be. And the bottom line is they could do some of those things and, and provide value that that, that that farming operation doesn't have right now. And it, it could also be like, like uh, for instance, your husband's a pretty dang good mechanic, and they're saving you're saving uh, thousands of dollars on on uh, repair bills because your husband could just fix stuff. And it's, that's an example in your family where I uh, sure sorry I didn't mean to bring Andy into this, but that's a family. This example in your family uh, where you're he's contributing to that operation, um, and so th that's how he's adding value. That, that's my point. And that's, that's a, you have a great example right underneath your nose of how you add value to an operation. So you have to look for those, those ways to, to make this all, everybody kind of work out between the generations and make it all work. So our next question is, how does the pandemic change succession planning? Well, that's an interesting question. If you've listened to my uh, me talk at a couple of the other seminars just recently, I would say that what I've said, what I've maintained is that the pandemic has brought some awareness of succession planning. And we knew early on in March and April that there was some, uh, especially, well, no, not just older people, but even people um, uh, middle age and even a little bit younger people that were in a rush to get their health care power of attorneys and some of that sort of thing uh, and health care directives in order in case they ended up on a ventilator. And so I, I but, but the bottom line would be, you still need those, all those documents and all that documentation. It doesn't make any difference what the, what the demise is. It could be pandemic, it could be a heart attack, it could be a tractor accident, it could be any of these things, or a grain bin accident. I had a, a friend of mine from college that ended up in a grain bin and, just uh, two weeks ago and uh, had to have the rescue squad and life flight helicopter and everything else get him out, and, and he's okay, but thank God he's okay. Uh, the bottom line is we don't know when that thing's going to happen, that event. And so the, the, the bottom, so think about what, so pandemic kind of brings it to our attention, but uh, there's all these other reasons why you need to have all these, this documentation and stuff in order. 
just just to be on the safe side. So we have a great question in the chat, and I know Alan, you and I have discussed this, but uh, what do you recommend in situations in which the older generation refuses to acknowledge that succession planning needs to take place due to age and deteriorating health? The next generation wants a plan. What's what's your recommendation on that? Uh, so, you know, that's, that's always tough. And, uh, and so what's, what's, what's interesting is in some cases that older generation may have done something, they're just not sharing it. I, I think that some cases that happens. And I would, I would admit also that in some cases they just don't want to think about it. So they just refuse to think about it. I'm going to live forever. I'm never going to die. But what they never recognize is that they don't get to take any dirt with them. And the coffins usually avoid dirt. They don't get to take their dirt with them. Or they don't get to take their bride prize bull with them. That, that doesn't happen. So probably don't attack them on this lack of succession planning, but just really, uh, really spend some time with good communication, really spend some time getting into their head in terms of how they're feeling about stuff and what they think about stuff, and you really establish a good rapport, really spend some extra time over there to, to, with their, with, in their house with them or wherever they happen to be, spend some time with them. Get them, get them broke down a little bit. I mean, from a communication standpoint, and then, and then you kind of ease into that conversation. You don't just board it out. Hey, so am I going to get into this? Am I going to get any of this land or not? You know, you don't do that. You have to kind of really kind of go back door on it. The other thing, the other strategy I think to think about is, is maybe you can't get to them. Maybe you're not the person that can push their button, but maybe you can identify somebody else that is. Uh, so well, do they have a friend? Do they have a clergy? Do they have a banker? Do they have, I don't know who, but maybe somebody else in the community that can push your dad or your dad-in-law's button to get him to think about what his estate plan ought to be. Uh, and maybe that's not you. Maybe their lawyer can do it. I don't know. But there's usually somebody that can push their button if you can't get their button going. And those are the suggestions I have. It's not perfect. It'll never be perfect, but you got to try. And, I, and please keep trying. You got to keep going. So can I add to that? Yeah, please. So by them not having a plan, they do have a plan, right? Indecision is a choice. So um, the other thing is that if they don't have something written, the state of Nebraska has a series of laws that will then come into place at their death. So, um, and in fact, I believe, Alan, there's an article on your website, um, on the succession website, regarding what Nebraska's estate plan for right. that farm would be. So, um, you know, just because they don't have a plan doesn't mean that something won't happen. There is a process then to allocating those assets to the heirs by Nebraska state law. Exactly. Are, exactly right. Are, and yeah. by the way, the Nebraska state law doesn't necessarily allow me to pass it on to my skip a generation, pass on to my grandchildren or anything like that. So if you have specific ideas like that in mind, you better have something in place because Nebraska state law won't allow you to do some of the stuff that you think is just automatically going to happen. Another question in the chat is, how do you make your siblings feel better about the fact that mom and dad sold the farm uh, to this person 20 years ago on contract that's now paid off? And because of that, uh, because of inflation is now worth a lot more. I sense they feel like I should owe them because the farm is worth more now. So... Uh, oddly enough, uh, you know, I, I've had that situation happen. I've had that situation happen to me. I'm not going to go into any of those details, but essentially the same thing happened when my mom and dad got the land to my brother and myself. 
And I have to keep tell, I just keep telling myself, listen, I signed off on the deal when it happened. All the, all the, in, 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 all the parties that were in on the deal when it happened, it happened. And that's, that's done. It's signing die. It's finished. Don't think about that anymore. Yes, it may, the, the, the valuation changes depending on what property you have and how much inflation and all that sort of thing. But uh, we, can't, we, can't, we can't go back and revisit that. That's water under the bridge. That's over with. It's just like saying, well, by God, there was $7 corn back in 2012 and we, I didn't get enough cash rent. No, you, you agreed to a specific cash rent. You got paid for it. It's done. Don't worry about that anymore. And you can't do the same thing with estate planning. You can't, can't hold a grudge against your family members because everybody agreed at that time that was, that was all fine, so that's done. That's, that's, that's finished. The other thing I'll say quickly is the on-farm kids, they're going to continue on, or the on-farm grandkids is going to continue on, probably should get a different consideration than, than, uh, than off-farm kids. And so uh, the fair versus equal, go to, my, go to that website, look at my fair versus equal video, and you get some information on that. Um, we'll encourage you if there are any more uh, questions to go ahead and drop them in the chat. We're about five minutes from our time limit. So if there are any more questions, please go ahead and type those in. Um, just a reminder to check farm.unl.edu for a schedule of more webinars in this series focused on COVID-19's impact on agriculture in Nebraska. The series continues next Thursday at noon with a discussion on cattle retention and the current market. Also, after uh, this webinar is done, you'll be receiving a short 30 second survey in your email and we would really appreciate your feedback on today's webinar and your input on future sessions. So with that, I'm not seeing any more questions come through for you, Alan. So thank you, Alan, and everyone for joining us today. A recording of today's webinar will be posted at farm.unl.edu, where you can also register for our upcoming webinars. So thanks again for joining us, and have a great rest of your day. This has been a special Nebraska Farmcast presentation of Extension Farm and Ranch Management in the Department of Agricultural Economics at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. To view or listen to more archived webinars, register for upcoming sessions, and discover more timely news, analysis, decision tools, and publications to guide your decision-making, visit farm.unl.edu.